Well, good morning, guys, or good evening, or something. One of the hardest parts about preaching to a camera is trying to figure out what greeting to use. Because I don't know if you're going to watch this in the morning, or maybe if you're going to watch it at night, or watch it in your bed, or watch it the next day. It's hard to say. So I'm going to open up with a movie quote that some of you might recognize, and that's, good morning, and if I don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There, I've covered all of them, so rest assured, whatever time you're watching this, I covered your cultural greeting in there, so gotcha. For those who I still haven't met, and I think I've met almost everyone at church, uh, I'm Joe Terman. Uh, I'm a pastoral major at Faith Baptist Bible College, and pastor gave me an opportunity to preach back earlier this year, and so I was looking forward to that, and then coronavirus happened, and so I'm back at home in Minnesota, but... I texted him the other day and he said, yeah, if you want to record, you're more than welcome to keep preaching for this Sunday night. So, hey, it works out. It's a little bit weird preaching to a camera, but it works. And still get to share the word of God with you. So I'm thankful for the opportunity. It's a privilege to be able to share the word with you. And let's open up with prayer. Father, thank you for today. And again, thank you for technology that connects us. And during this strange time, you're still building your church. Thank you for your sovereign hand that you have in all this. Use it to transform us into your image. Help us to be submissive to that work. I pray that as we look at 1 Peter today, that it would be an encouragement to those who are listening and that your spirit would be working in their hearts to open their eyes to the great truths that are in Scripture and that they would understand and see the glory of you. Thank you for everything you've done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Peter in chapter 1, and we're going to be in uh, verses 22 through 25. And I'm going to read that for you guys. I'm preaching out of the ESV today. Uh, it's my preferred translation. I know there's quite a few different ones out there, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. And uh, so I hope you guys can pay attention. If you guys want to follow along in ESV, I encourage you to grab your copy of the ESV translation and uh, follow along with me. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter's been writing to believers who are under severe persecution. They've been exiled out to Asia Minor. They're spread out through that small continent and they're all over the place. They're lost and they're facing persecution. And Peter writes this letter to them to encourage them during this time of exile to remember the salvation that God gave them and to remember and recognize that trials are being used for a purpose in their life to refine their faith like being passed through fire. They're God is refining their faith through this time. And so Peter writes them and he explains this great salvation earlier in chapter 1. And he shows the great work that God has done in 
birthing them into this new family. They have been born again. And then he also highlights the importance of trials in their life. And Peter goes through that and encourages them with this. It's one long sentence in Greek. And then after that, in verse 13, he gives them four major commands through here. Today, we're going to be looking at one of those commands down in verse 22. And this is the idea I want to get across to you guys today. If nothing else, this is the only thing you remember. Remember this, and that's your body, your relationships within the body of Christ are radically transformed by the eternal word of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see the power of the word and how it shapes our relationships. And we all have those people that we have a relationship with. There's those who are just hard to love. Maybe it's uh, a coworker or maybe it's a family member and they're just either loud, obnoxious, they're annoying. You know that person, you could think of it. And if you're not thinking of that person, most likely it's you, but there's that person and we could think of them and they always know how to rub us wrong. Or maybe it's even someone you know closely. Maybe it's a close family member or a really close friend. And they seem to know every ridge and contour and bump of your personality. And they know where to take the sandpaper and rub on that just right, just to get you aggravated. And you know exactly what that's like. It's a common experience we all face. And so that's, that's not rare. We, we all are common, on common ground with that. But it's oftentimes that we are in those relationships and we're pushing through and we come to this person, we know they're hard to love and they always seem to just rub us wrong. And so then we go back and we recognize, okay, I need to love this person more. So we turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and we go through that renowned love chapter and we, we remind ourselves, love is patient, love is kind. And we go through that and we're like, okay, next time I see this person, I gotta remember to be patient, I gotta be kind. And we remember these things and we go into that relationship. And the next time we see that person, instead of a piece of sandpaper, this time they have a chainsaw and they just go to town on our personality and it just hits us and it feels like it's, they know exactly where to push our buttons. And then it fails. And you come back and you've tried. It's like, I know what love looks like. I know it's just hard. And oftentimes when we struggle to love people, it's not that we don't know what love looks like. We really do. We've, we've been around, we've been in God's word enough. We've heard enough preaching and teaching to know what sacrificial love looks like. So that's not the problem usually. Where it comes down for us is why we love them. Why do we choose to love them? And that's what Peter's commanding the believers he's writing to. He commands them to love one another, but he bookends this command with two major reasons why we should love people, why we must love people. And he highlights that. And oftentimes we need encouragement in that area. It's not, not in the what, but in the why, the motive behind it, the reason we push through and sacrifice the smallest desire to the largest 
persecution. We, we sacrifice ourselves for the love of other people. And that's what Peter's detailing here. And he gives us two reasons why we should. And so I already, I already read through that. So we're going to look at that first one. We're going to start by looking at his first reason. Then we'll go after the command, look at that second reason he gives, and then we'll circle back around and then examine that command to love other people. So here's, here's his first idea that he gives. You must love one another because you've responded to the gospel. Look here in verse 22. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That obedience to the truth is the response to the gospel call. Peter is saying, because you have heard this gospel, because you heard of what Christ has done, because you have heard of what you are without Christ, you've responded to that. You've humbled yourself before God and repented of your sins and turned towards him for a life of filled with repentance. And he says, you've turned, you've come back and you've purified your souls. It's this idea of setting apart or consecration. Your response to the gospel call set you aside, set you apart, consecrated you for a purpose larger than your own. Earlier in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he's talk, he talks about how you've been set free from your former ignorance. You once were enslaved to your own desires. You once lived a life that was completely obsessed with yourself. All you could do was please yourself. Even the most nicest act that you could do was for your own gain. And Peter says, you were once in these ignorant ways. You once thought like that. That's how you looked at life. But now that you've been saved, you're no longer, you no longer have to follow those ignorant ways. You can live a life that's free because of what the gospel has done. Christ has set you free from your own desires. You've been set apart to a new purpose in life. No longer is it your own selfish purposes. Rather, that purpose is for God in him alone. You've been consecrated for him. But one of the specific purposes God has set us apart for by saving us through the gospel is to love one another. Part of this, part of being set apart is you are special and you're for that purpose only. God's calling on your life now is to be holy because he is holy. God is set apart from anything in creation. He is so different than all of us. And his holiness demands that we live holy lives too that are set apart and unique. And that's one of the reasons why our relationships are so much different within the body of Christ. Because God has set a new purpose for those who have been saved from their former lives into this new life that they now live. They've been saved and set apart. And so that's why our relationships look so much different. It's because of what the gospel has done for us. It's a rearrangement of desire and purpose. 
We were once, we were once desperately in love with ourselves and it painfully showed in our relationships. And sometimes it still does. We still have that sin nature we fight against. Every day I fight against that. And it's really obvious that I love myself. It's so easy to do that. You guys know that. You fight that sin nature every day. And so Peter's saying, even though you fight that, you've been set apart for this purpose and you've been consecrated to love one another. And we see this as well here. Look in verse 22 with me. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that's your response to the gospel, for what? For the purpose of a sincere brotherly love. Another part of you responding to the gospel is not only you have this new purpose to love one another, you also have the capacity to love other people sacrificially. This wasn't something that's natural to you. It's not something that grew inside of you and suddenly you had this capability or the ability to love other people and deny yourself. That's something new that was given to you with the new life you were given with the gospel. You now have that capability to love other people with that type of love. It's the gospel has enabled you with that power to be able to deny yourself by walking in the spirit and submit yourself to the good of other people. One way to look at this is back when we were in college, that is like a month ago, my roommate was a very particular person. He's one of my best friends. He's a really good friend of mine. And so when we met our freshman year, we decided we're going to stay, we're, let's room together. And so we signed on the form and we roomed together and next year we get there. So that'd be this year, the sophomore year. And we unload and we unpack and we're all in our rooms and we're, we, we know each other pretty well. So we could function really well together as roommates. So it worked out really, really well. And we're just good friends and it, it went smooth. But my roommate's also a very particular person. He's very, um, trying to look for the word for that. He's very, uh, he's very prompt and punctual. He's an awesome guy, but he's particular. So one day, um, we're getting ready for bed and I'm brushing my teeth and in the bathroom and I get this idea. I'm going to pull a prank on Chris. So after I finish brushing my teeth, I get ready for bed. I go back out and he goes into the bathroom he gets ready for bed, comes out and we're about to shut the lights off for the night. And I go, Oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. I forgot to tell you. And he's like, what? It's like my toothbrush wore out. So I threw it away this morning. And so I didn't have another toothbrush to use. So I used your toothbrush to brush my teeth tonight. And he just looks at me and his mouth drops open. And he's like, thanks for telling me, Joe. I didn't, I didn't brush my teeth tonight. I was going to brush them in the morning. So it's all good. And I'm like, oh, didn't work. The prank didn't work. Ugh. And I, I, had to, I had to fess up to him and tell him what I actually was trying to do. But the idea is nobody likes to share their toothbrush with anyone else. That's just not normal. You don't do that. Your toothbrush is holy. It's set apart and consecrated for your use only. And that's what God's saying with you. 
You've responded to the gospel. You've humbled yourself. And now you are consecrated for the purpose of loving other people. So that brings Peter on. And we see this command here in verse 22. Love one another earnestly. This is the command that Peter's giving them. But we're going to go, we're going to skip ahead. And we're going to look at the next reason why we are to love other people sacrificially. And this is, and that is this. You must love one another because God has rebirthed you with his eternal word. You must love one another because God has rebirthed you with his eternal word. I'm going to read for you starting in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The second reason you are to love sacrificially is because God has rebirthed you with his eternal seed. He's used the means of the word of God to give you life. But it's not just the word of God. Look at the, look at the adjective he used. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable the life that you have been given through the gospel, the same life that has been used to birth you into God's new family, is the eternal and durable word of God. That's, that's an interesting word to use to describe the word of God. We don't usually describe it as durable. But the word of God is imperishable. It can't endure any circumstances that come at it. It flows through time untouched by anything that happens in this world. And this is important to note. The eternal life that we have been given from God is only eternal because his word is eternal. I'm going to plant this thought in your mind. We'll come back to it in a second. But the quality of the life given depends on the quality of the seed that was used to give the life. So Peter, a little bit later in verse 24 says, For all flesh is like grass, and its flower like the, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter has this idea of humanity, mankind is like grass. So you see your lawns outside that are maybe just starting to turn green. And we have this this grass out here, and it grows up and it produces a flower, so there's a little bit of glory, and then it fades away. And humanity is like that. Mankind's like that. The grass grows, it produces a flower, so there's our mankind's accomplishments, and look at this, and suddenly it's gone. Just like that. It's gone. It perishes. It does not last. So the life here on earth that we experience when we first came into the world was perishable. We came into this world with a destiny with death. We were going to die. But God saved us and the means he used to save us and give us new life was the word of God. Just like with grass, the seed that you use to plant grass is perishable. Therefore, the grass that grows will perish. But with us, the seed used to give us new life is the word of God. And that word of God is eternal and can endure any 
amount of circumstances and it can last throughout all eternity. And because of that, our eternal life is now eternal. That new life we're given is eternal because the word of God is eternal. So if you think about this, earlier I mentioned trials and the believers that Peter is writing to are facing immense trials. This is probably right before or just starting as Nero was coming in and persecuting Christians in Rome. And so you have these believers spread out everywhere and they're facing immense persecution. And back at the beginning of chapter one, Peter says this in verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm at verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These trials that the believers were facing were unique and intense. And he goes on in verse 7. You've been grieved by these various trials, but for what? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these trials that these believers were facing were testing and refining their faith. It was purifying their faith, much like we would purify metal by heating it up. So if we link that and connect that back down to here, the Word of God can endure all of time it will endure everything that happens in mankind. Every single trial, circumstance, and situation that we face cannot wear down the word of God. It's eternal and it, per it, it, it permeates all of time. It goes through any of those situations and yet it stands. Your new life was given through that word. And so if the life that you now have was given by something that can endure any single circumstance, every single trial that's thrown at it, that means the new life you've been given can handle any single circumstance or trial that's thrown at it. Nothing can wear down that new life that has been given to you. No amount of friction can dull its luster. It's secure but it also does endure. So now, in our relationships, often people rub us wrong. And there's this idea of friction in relationships. And God has a way of sovereignly orchestrating and putting together our relationships where we get that one person in our life that just knows how to rub us wrong. And what do they do? It just, they seem to aggravate us. But the word of God, even in this friction between people, even in that trial, your new life can still endure. And because of that new life, you can love any person in any trial or circumstance from the smallest inconvenience or offense all the way to the largest persecution. You, anywhere in this spectrum, the word of God, will not fail. It's durable. Your, your new life is durable. And so any of these circumstances that you're in, 
you can still love. And that's what Peter's encouraging them there. Love one another, even in these terrible circumstances that you're in. Love one another. Why? Because you have new life that can endure anything. Because the seed that to give you life can endure anything. I think of, uh, I think of farmers and when they go to plant a crop, they're going to choose good seed to lay down in the fields. And they know that they have to do the proper amount of research to pick the correct seed that's going to grow best in the conditions that they're in. And they don't go buy cheap seed. They go and buy good quality seed. Why? Because the quality of the seed that they purchase has a direct impact on what their crop's going to look like in, when they go to harvest. They pick the quality of the seed because it determines the quality of the crop. The quality of the seed used to give you life determines the quality of the life you now have. You have high quality life because the high quality word gave you life. So that's reason number two why we're supposed to love one another. You love one another because you responded to the gospel and you love one another because the eternal durable word of God gave you new life. So let's circle back now and we're gonna look at the command here in verse 22, that last half, that one phrase, and it's this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the command Peter gives us. And that leads to the third point. You must love one another with genuine, unhypocritical love. The two bookends that surround this command show the just the large, immense task that's been given to us. To love sacrificially with genuine love, with unhypocritical love, is a big task. And so the fact that Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, because you responded to the gospel and because you have this eternal life that will never wear out, you must love. Those two giant reasons show we got a big task at hand if we're going to sacrificially love people. And that's the two qualities we see here for love. Look, look here, it says, for a sincere, this is verse 22, for a sincere brotherly love. So sincere there, and then he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The sincerity and this pure heart that we are to love from has this idea of unhypocritical love. The other quality that is given here is earnestly. Our love is supposed to be unhypocritical and our love is supposed to be earnest. The first quality, unhypocritical, teaches that our love needs to be impartial and it needs to be done with selfless motive. Often we can have an ulterior motive when we come in to love someone. When we choose that in the back of our mind, I'm going to love this person. Sometimes we can love other people with the intention of getting something back. We have these ulterior motives. We have, we have a plan behind why we're loving them that comes back and makes us feel good. We can condition our love 
So it's no more unconditional love, it becomes conditional love. I will love you only if you show me or give me what I want back. So love can be, unhip can be hypocritical in that way. But love can also be hypocritical in the way that it only shows it to select people. And it's the same, it's the same idea, it's just the other side of the coin. We could put a facade of love on towards some people and we could turn around and look at this other person and sh treat them completely differently. It's that idea in James 2. We are to show impartial love to everyone, not just those who we judge that they deserve our love, but to all, because all are created in the image of God. So our love could be hypocritical if we're having ulterior motives or if we're showing it partially to select people. But this other idea of earnest love is interesting. So I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I do have fancy Bible software where I could click a word and I could see where it's used else in the New Testament. So I clicked this word and I was looking at its different uses in the New Testament. And this word is only used three times in the New Testament. Once here and twice in the context of prayer. And so this word is, hold up, bear with me. If I say this wrong, Dr. Newman's going to be after me. Ectenos. I believe I said that right. Ectenos. That's the word behind earnest here. If you follow that through the New Testament, it's used two other times. Once, when the church is praying for Peter when he was in prison. And you guys are familiar. And you got Peter who's in prison and the church gathers together and they pray earnestly. But the other time, the other time it's used is with Jesus. And when Jesus was praying before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm actually going to turn there. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read you two verses. But if you want to follow along, it's Luke 22. And it's uh, verses 42 and 44. Here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. He knows he's about to be crucified. He, he's anticipated this. He's known about this before the world was created. He was aware that he was going to be our atonement for sin. And so in verse 42 of Luke 22, he says, this is the prayer he prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus was aware of the immense weight of this job set before him. And he knew what was coming, that he was to be crucified and killed and that he was going to face the full wrath of God on him. And he knew what was coming. And he said, Father, if at all possible, remove this terrible, this cup, this idea, this terrible tribulation that's about to come on me. But, he says, if it's your will, I'm going to do it anyways. He submits his will to the Father's will. So we have this picture of sacrificial love here. If we read ahead a little bit, it says in verse 43, uh, it talks about an angel came and strengthened him. And in verse 44, here's where we see that word earnest. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. 
Jesus prayed so intensely, the pressure around him with this situation was so intense, he prayed with this amount of earnesty. Jesus going to the cross, sacrificing his life for us, is the most earnest display of love that mankind has ever seen. And this is the type of love we are called to show to those around us, especially to those within the body of Christ. That's a big calling. And suddenly, it makes a lot of sense why Peter cushioned this command to love one another with this earnest love between two giant reasons for loving them. And the way we love them like this is only possible because of what the gospel has done for us. This high quality love that we're called to display towards other people is only possible because we've had a high quality seed give us new life. So sometimes we still can get a little bit lost on, okay, so what's love look like? How am I supposed to love like this? What does it look like? Sometimes it's helpful to look at what we're not supposed to do in order to help us know what we are supposed to do. And in chapter two of 1 Peter, in verse one, Peter neg negatively states the command to love. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. When we know what we shouldn't do, it helps sharpen our view of love. What does sacrificial love look like? Well, it doesn't look like this. Actions and speech that are done out of spite do not demonstrate sacrificial love. Ulterior motives for good deeds aren't pure and sincere love. Jealous hearts don't produce love and especially speech that tears down and misrepresents others, really does the exact opposite of what love is supposed to do, build up. Love doesn't tear down. So these commands that we've seen, these negative commands, help us understand how we are to love other people. But this love is ter this love that's described here, it's terribly hard to demonstrate. It goes against every fiber of our being. Unhypocritical, earnest love does not come naturally to you or I. And why is that? Because it goes against every part of the sin nature that's inside of us. And this is exactly why Peter cushions this command between these two great reasons. The gospel and the durable eternal seed that you have been given allow you to love in this way. You can manifest love to your siblings in Christ because of what the gospel's done in your life. You now have that capacity to love other people sacrificially. We can love others without hypocrisy, and we can love them with selfless, earnest love like Christ displayed for us. So, next time you're in a situation, and you're in a relationship that's difficult, and it's hard to love them. Remind yourselves of these two great truths. You have the life-giving gospel that you've responded to and humbled. And so now you're called to a purpose of loving other people. 
And that gospel on the other side of the coin now has given you life that can endure any amount of inconvenience and persecution that you might face. So love one another because of those truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in the gospel. And it's so radical. You've changed us and made us completely new. And you've done it with a seed that's durable, that can, that can pass through any situation or moment of time. It's eternal. And now that we have this capability to love, help us, Father, to love other people in the heat of the temptation, when in the middle of temptation we're facing a difficulty to love, this difficult, terrible, hard situation to love in, help us, remind us of these truths. Remind us that the gospel has given us a new purpose. Remind us that the gospel has given us new life. We thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Help us to honor you in everything that you do. In Christ's name, amen.